I mean, I wouldn't even claim to know if this is right or not. I'm not going to argue for this in some intellectually overbearing way. To do so would be curiously, um, you know, self-inconsistent. But, um, you know, I've definitely stopped being a Langanian or a Langanite, and I've just become a mystic. Um, to use Langan's language, though, he talks about dynamic oscillations and self-resolving paradoxes. And at least the way that I think about it is that the phenomenon in question just doesn't make sense. You know, you will make a move to say that the infinite needs the finite or the transcendent needs the imminent. And that will be a valid move when you make it. But like writing on water, the mark that you make disappears and suddenly God is seen infinitely to transcend his creation and not to require it to be who he is. And so, um, it, in other words, it, it really, all I can say is like, it really doesn't make sense. Um, uh, and I've just kind of stopped doing theology because for me, at least, there is we, we stop, there is a point where it stops being an, an, an intellectual exercise and starts being a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Sorry to sound like super, you know, whatever. But and, and sometimes the relationship with the Holy Spirit looks like an intellectual exercise almost or but but um, and see that already sounded wrong. But what I mean is sometimes. Sometimes you're pondering over things that they do have the form of kind of a kind of an intellectual reasoning. And I, I can't explain that either. Um, I'm really a lot less interested in these these days uh, in correcting people, except when I am because, you know, I'm a jerk. Like I was like bothering Mitch about like, you know, where do you get the authority to question Catholic authority or whatever? You know, I was going down that whole thing. So essence energies, I don't know. All I know is that all that stuff, all that stuff where it's like, it's like God at the edges of logic, uh, you know, cause, cause logic itself is relativized to something and that, and that kind of ultimate sort of self-transcending logic would be like the logos or the self-resolving paradox. It's like, that just breaks your brain. And even in the, the smallest moment, trying to understand it breaks your brain, trying to understand change. <sighs> when does change happen? Can you pinpoint the moment when change happens? Change becomes this kind of ever-present impossibility. If, it ha if it's real, then it must happen in time. And, and, but then the question is, if it happens in time, where, where's the moment when the change happened? And you can't pinpoint that moment and change seems to be impossible. And any one of these binaries, the relationship between the contingent and the necessary, the infinite and the finite. And what I would really say is that what that kind of makes me think is like everything is actually really infinite in the sense of like brain breaking and not what it appears to be. Um, but um, Langan kind of has a demon of wanting, he wants to totalize everything. Um, and it's very clear from his, um, the way that he gives interviews, certainly when he was younger, but even like, you know, if you just kind of catch him on the wrong day or, you know, catch him with the the wrong kind of question, it, it's, um, it's a, it's a kind of, um, it's a totalizing spirit that, that he has. And it probably comes from 
some measure of woundedness. Um, but see, then I'm psychoanalyzing him and saying that he needs to take acid or something. But no, I mean, everything to do with that stuff, essence, energies, you try to understand that it's like Aquinas. It's like God is God is pure act. God is altogether impassable. Well, I mean, how does one understand act without, or excuse me, God is altogether immutable, i.e. he doesn't change. How does one understand act without change? Uh, you can appeal to mystery right away, but th that's my point. That's exactly my point. In other words, one doesn't understand it. Um, and... Um, and I, but the, at the same time, it's like there's a move where it's like someone comes along trying to understand that I can't like be down his throat, like 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 how dare you try to understand it? You know what I'm saying? Because that that itself is is wrong. Um, and uh, hold on, I'm getting inundated with stuff. Hold on, literally any train of thought that someone is going down. It's like, I would say like dollars to donuts. There's something under that. Maybe they're not fully in touch with that impulse. There's something under it that's properly Godward. Um, and here I would just leverage intuitions about how can anything exist or properly refer or mean anything if it's not already connected to God, if it's not already in God. Um, or if it's not already toward God, you know, at the most fundamental level. So every, everyone, whatever chain of reasoning they're asking, it's like they have some motive that's properly Godward, and then um, it there's something true about it. If I if if I was to say why why do you want to know this is a bad question, then I'm kind of being Satan or something. And so what you have to do is you have to do the logic with them and, and just see where it goes. Um, maybe it finds the terminus, what was Godward in the original intention. Maybe it reveals God in some new way. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, and, and a lot of it is, um, oh, gosh. <sighs> I mean, how I would put it is, like, I feel like the logic is broken and I'm not trying to fix it. Um I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, I mean, it definitely gets into a lot of what you talk about in the sense that I'm more concerned with, with the kind of unspoken and, and, and unspeakable truth that lies behind every, every description. Descriptions are not, you know, one doesn't want to say they're false. They're almost, but they're, they're, they're epiphenomenal. They're thrown up like foam they happen. Descriptions happen. They're generated, but it's writing on water. Um, to describe something is thereby to change it, because reality is self-aware. It, it knows you're talking about it, um, and then its ears burn, and then it and it takes it. You know, to, to measure a phenomenon is to change it. And um, so, anyway, yeah, no, I just sound like a kind of a mystical moron, um, except when I don't, when I'm trying to play intellectual games to force people into corners, you know. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely, I mean, maybe I sound like someone who's just done too many drugs, but I wasn't even doing drugs, so. Let me tell you something that I thought about yesterday. I'm only going to tell it to you. Um, this is, it's, it's very strange. And, and I don't know if in expounding this, I'm being really stupid and really trivial 
or if I'm onto something like unspeakably profound, but, um, the, the one way into it is to ask yourself, like, like, am I in the place that I am in or am I in my experience of the place that I am in? Am I in the room that I am in or am I um, in my skull? And, you know, this is kind of weird because if there's really a one-to-one -one correspondence between appearance and reality, it's like you don't have a head. Um, but the business is what if there is a one-to-one -one correspondence between appearance and reality so that one can't even really distinguish between the two, uh, not properly. Uh, and then it's like the little thoughts that enter your mind, you, you ask yourself, oh, was that, was that really from God or was that really from uh, an evil source or was that just my imagination? It's like, if appearance is reality, then that's an improper distinction. Um, and this is, reminds me of something that I wrote. Like when I was really starting to get on to what I now call the meta Trinitarian oneness Pentecostal kick, really more accurately, it should just be called fractal oneness. Um, I wrote that Christologic is close to schizologic. That is to say, it's a short step seemingly from equating the whole Godhead with Jesus to equating Jesus with yourself. And for the life of me, I still, it's very much what you, what you talk about a lot. And um, that's why recently I thought it may be very necessary to be Catholic in order to preserve the creator-creature distinction um, the, the I thou distinction, because the Trinity in a way is like a weird hedge against that move. Cause it says, cause it allows the son truthfully to say the father is greater than I. Um, and, um, you know, certainly the fractal oneness approach has to throw out or seems to have to, or at least it has to do a dance around, you know, various passages and verses, um, you know, all of which, you know, are in the spirit of the father is greater than I, the father is a person, a person of the Godhead or of the Trinity. And that person is greater than I. Then again, you know, it just straight up says like in Philippians, you know, like in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily or dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, not the second person of the Godhead, but the fullness of the Godhead. Um, so it's like, you would say the second person is the fullness of the Godhead. It's like, sure, but it's removing the whole like quality exemplar distinction, which seems necessary to the Trinity in the first place, you know, for it to be the concept that it is. And, you know, maybe this doesn't make any sense, but basically I'm stuck. Like, I mean, the thing is rationally in my head, Catholicism makes more sense. It makes sense like you have to submit to something exterior in order to not be totally off the walls. Um, I'm giving myself permission to mark up my Bible in the way that that stands out to me personally, which is a very strange oneness Pentecostal um, um, 
Jesus only modalism type approach where I just read Isaiah and I just read, read it all as coming from the mouth of Jesus. And I read it very much as the kind of story of creative destruction, um, that, that this life is, this life is creative destruction. It's breaking you down because you are so faithless toward God. Um, and, um, you know, that, that in you, is 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 only going to be a seed left or a remnant, but it's going to be reckoned as a whole generation kind of thing. It's death and resurrection kind of thing. And, um, oh, let me see. I guess another way to ask the question of like, am I in my place or am I in my skull or am I, am I in this place? It's to ask, am I in myself or am I in God? One can say I'm in myself in God or one can just say immediately I am in God. Um, it is that, that very interesting business of using the word self without a compliment or contrast. If one does try to use it without a compliment, then what one means is God and not self so-called. I don't know if this sounds like pure mystery or, or like word smoke or whatever, but, um, uh, you know, I have reservations about Catholicism just in the sense that it seems like they don't believe hard enough. And it's all about resigning oneself to suffering. Whereas what I really like about like Pentecostalism is like people will just do like what Kenneth Hagin does, where they're just, they'll take the experience of what's happening to them, deny the reality of their experience and, and, and just juxtapose it to the word and say, it's my experience versus the word. And let God be true and every man a liar um, kind of thing. You know, I think that's extremely powerful. As far as I know, that's what I need to be delivered. But the thing is, you know, from all the stuff I'm going through, I don't want to just simply resign myself to suffering constantly. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I wonder if like this, if I go out, like if this will be like going off the rails, taking out all the stops and then it will lead, it will leave me exposed to, actual insanity and what i seem to be hearing when i trust my own wisdom so-called um is that god will take care of you whatever happens and even if you should go to hell it will be for your benefit and so in other words it's it's unitarian universalism in the sense that um is, is universalism in the sense that you don't have to believe in Jesus. You, it's just that you will. It's, it's Unitarianism in the sense that uh, not only is Jesus God, but God is Jesus, and also Jesus is you. Um, that kind of, um, maybe not you are Jesus, but somehow Jesus is you. Um, gosh, that's, 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 that's like dangerously true seeming now that I said it. Um, and, um, it's like, um, it's like Maximus talking about becoming uncreated or becoming the Lord himself in that union with God at the same time. How is that not true? But then again, one doesn't want to lean on one's own understanding. However, again, following Langan, can there ever be an absolute divide between experience and reality between word and object between referent and reference or is it that rather between every 
underlying every distinction is an identity. And the identity of identities is Christ Jesus. Um, and then there's that dangerous, disturbing, unaccountable fact. If Christ is ultimate reality, why do I experience it only from my point of view? Does that not mean that I myself am Christ? See, this is a weird schizophrenic move. And it's like, I am all too liable to make this move if left to my own devices. Then again, it's, it's almost like the devil tells me, uh, you need to make this move in order to learn what God is really trying to teach you. You need to be undone by the destruction that will be wrought upon you by making this move. And, um, and he will also, in a way, be right in the same way that, you know, the Catholic Church sings, Oh, happy fall at Easter. The destiny brought on for mankind by the fall, i.e. incarnation and redemption, is greater than the destiny that it would have had otherwise. I mean, you see where I'm going with all this? It's, it's utter, utter, I mean, it's like, it's insanity that sounds like truth, or it's truth that is so hardcore as to be insane. Reminds me of um, this very interesting YouTube video I found once where um, some dude, I can't remember his name, he was saying, look, the Bible is all about Jesus and Jesus is actually you, that you're the son of God who descended from heaven. In other words, you, you're God who forgot that he was God um, and that, um, how to put it, the God of the Bible is essentially your own imagination. And that's very interesting because it is like creatio ex nihilo versus creatio ex deo. Like, what's the difference? God as everythingness versus God as nothingness. Um, and um, when I listened to that video, I was like, holy cow. It's like, it sounds like the most terrible error, like the kind of solipsism that the devil wants to lead us into. But it's, it's, it's incredibly, <laughs> incredibly seductive and convincing. Okay, I wanted to call you about a train of thought I had yesterday or the other day that was in some way about Christian nihilism um, or what might be called Christian nihilism um, because I was watching a debate between James White and Trent Horn and it was over, it wasn't over the issue of justification per se, it was over the issue of whether or not a Christian can lose their salvation Although, of course, you can see um, how this question very much interdepends on uh, the nature of justification and so on. But um, that, was, that was the debate. And the first reaction I had to the debate was, well, of course, isn't this simply a semantic debate at bottom? Because both sides acknowledge that someone can appear to be Christian their whole life, either be Christian or appear to be Christian their whole life and then at some fateful point defect and leave the faith and one side will say they always had salvation but lost it and the other side will say um, they never were Christian to begin with because uh, and, and but, but see you know and they'll talk about you know assurance of salvation but really you 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 can either you you got two choices it's like one you can think that your salvation depends on works or you can um 
uh, believe that your salvation doesn't depend on works, but the only way you can know you're saved is if you do the works or if you persevere to the end and, and so on like that. So I thought, well, doesn't this whole thing simply turn on a semantic issue? And then I thought, well, but there's still an issue here of sort of um, logical or causal priority. I should say logical priority between the two. And, you know, on the one hand, salvation brings about the works. On the other hand, the works bring about the salvation or are at least a necessary condition for the salvation in addition to faith so that you have two necessary conditions which are jointly necessary and sufficient um, for what they bring about, i.e. salvation. Those would be, you know, faith is one and then works is the other. Faith without works is dead. The Catholic view of justification being that your faith unites you to Christ, but your works keep you faithful to him. And so I guess what they were debating about is whether the scriptures bear out one side more clearly or the other, and of course, you know, uh, in in you know in in Christian nihilist fashion, there's there are there are verses in the text that support both positions. Um, but you know that that being the issue, I wanted to I wanted to talk about it with you, and sort of um, hash that out. Let me see if if I have another message. Hold on. Oh yeah, I guess I also wanted to talk about um, different apologetic approaches. Which, by the way, I say this jokingly, but when are you and I going to start an apologetics ministry, bro? We can call it Alpha and Omega Ministry. Oh, wait, that's taken. Um, we can call it X and not X Ministries. We can call it P and Q Ministries. Um, um, okay, but um, I was thinking about, you know, apologetic approaches. I was thinking about, like how you know catholicism favors evidentialism one of the one of the dogmas of the catholic faith is that um god can be known um the existence of god can be known with certainty through natural reason which is really is really directly against the sort of reformed epistemology position which is a little different from presuppositional apologetics um you know and i'm still not sure to what degree you're familiar with either of those um, approaches, but, you know, the reformed epistemology is going to say something like you don't, that, that belief in God can be properly basic, that you don't need reason for it. And in some level, reason is so untrustworthy as to be, um, you know, uh, dubious that you shouldn't, you shouldn't rely on reason, but you can know God in this, in, um, uh, in a direct way that doesn't require evidence due to an internal census divinitatis, but that so often it requires regeneration in order to avail oneself of this um, sense. And, you know, you know, darn it, if I, if I don't think that that is more correct, at least as regards the specific identity of God as Jesus Christ, um, or as the triune God uh, in whom Jesus Christ is a member of the Trinity. Um, or is that, is that true though? See, see, I don't, I don't know. Cause I mean, when they talk about knowing God exists, I don't think through the census divinitatis, I don't think that they mean knowing that specifically the triune God exists. So that's, that's already kind of a, kind of a head scratcher. Um, I, I also think there's something presupp something inherently presuppositional about identity such that if Jesus Christ, the God man, 
the 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 irreducible union of the universal and the particular you know the hypostasis of a human and a divine nature um if he is the way the truth and the life then that is an identity claim and identity claims don't strictly um they don't admit of questions like why they don't have a reason in that sense um if x is x there is not a reason why x is not x oh, excuse me there is not a reason why x is x to ask why x um, is x is to presuppose that possibly x is not x but it is to presuppose that x is not x in the very case where one begins by stipulating that x is x um, so it's 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 really to posit the possibility of a contradiction which you know it's not possible um, put another way the reason the reason why x is is x um, is that if x were not x then it would not be x um, so I'm talking again, we're, we're at that level of logic where it's tautological. And, um, I really, I really think that the kind of the, 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 the divide between natural reason and special revelation is uncrossable. Um, oh, hold on. It is uncrossable in the way that, um, presuppositional apologetics, um, presupposes um that that you know the presuppers uh, make you think it, it it is and um you know so so i don't know what to think of that like like um uh you know roy showman the catholic um sort of apologist he was talking about how it's it's really he was sounding presuppositionalist here he was saying that the that there are certain truths would simply depend on divine illumination and that to explain them to someone um, would be as impossible as to explain to a blind person, a person blind from birth, the color red. Um, and so one is wondering whether there can exist this kind of divide um, or whether reality ultimately has, let's say, a non-dual character like Langan talks about, where every distinction um, presupposes an underlying identity. Um, Every absolute distinction between X and not X presupposes a so-called unisect. And so then um, that, that is to say, you know, some, some, some underlying level of identity that is common to even, you know, um, uh, a term and its, and its negation. Um, and then so I asked myself, what is the unisect beneath... Um, beneath seeing color and not seeing it um, between, you know, red and, and monochrome, you know, black and white. And I thought maybe, the, I suppose the unisect is vision itself in the abstract, or it's the faculty of sensing anything. And indeed, there are near-death experiences where people blind from birth see color. And if we equate the mind strictly with neurology, that should not be possible because seeing color is something that should be, um, it, it should be an ex experience that requires um, a certain, a, a certain um, uh, developmental pattern of, of wiring. There needs to be, any, you know, um, for, for, for a strictly um neuroscientific view of the mind that should not be possible and yet it does seem to be possible um at least if we take the the witness of near-death experiences seriously um so 
This is a question that exercises me a lot. It's the question of whether ultimate reality is knowable through what you might call natural reason. Um, is it continuous with it or does it absolutely transcend it? Put it another way, does there exist the possibility of an absolute no? Um, or, you know, is the answer, uh, to, is, does, does there not exist such a possibility because the answer to all such questions is necessarily yes and no? And if the answer to the question of whether an absolute no can exist is itself yes and no, then we're we're at something of an imponderable, you know, impasse, really. That that's that's I guess that's what part of what I'm getting at. And there was something in Corinthians I read the other day where he he was asked Paul was specifically asking, Does Christ say both yes and no? He was asking it rhetorically. He said, in Christ is always yes. And, a, and an apologist um, in our ministry might have a field day with that particular um, passage um, when, when you know, in, in sort of um, writing up the, the web page that decries the error of non-dualism or non-duality, right? Um, this is the stuff I really ponder. And it's not, um, a, 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 regardless of the church's official position, um, uh, and, and regardless of, um, the, the tendency among Catholic apologists to favor classical slash evidentialist approaches, um, this is not a frame of reasoning that is alien at all to, to, um, Catholic, um, uh, th theology. Indeed, Aquinas speaks very much in this way. Um, and Blaise Pascal, the author of Pensee, um, talked about the mystery of how unbaptized in infants go to um, limbo or they go to hell um, and how it is that a just God can allow this. And, and yet also, unless we suppose that God um, uh, uh, does this, um, we, we can't actually know anything else. Um, so... Yeah, this, I mean, I guess I sort of got close to this. I sort of got close to the mystery in this last recording. Um, that was what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, hopefully we get the chance to talk about it. Hopefully you get the chance to listen to all these messages. Okay, yeah, so this second question is a doozy, at least for me in my present state. Um, what's kind of being borne in upon me right now is the fact that, number one, I'm not powerful right now in the sense that I don't have my wits about me to express what it would first come into my heart to want to say. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Whenever we close ourselves off and we just reach for that first impulse and try to enact it, it's like trying to establish control over the situation, but really what love does is it makes you aware and open to being wounded. Um, uh, and it, it begins at least with an awareness that is, that is also vulnerable and open to being wounded. Um, so, you know, you don't want to rush to judgment. Um, now, in the case of where your daughter has been violated by a pedophile. Um, 
there's different ways we can look at a scenario. Who is the father? Because when you were telling me this, for whatever reason, I was imagining it as the father is like a saint. The father has literally done what Jesus told him to do for the reasons Jesus told him to do it. And so he's forgiven the pedophile. Um, and is even turning the other cheek. Because one can answer this question childishly and say, well, I wouldn't kill him, but I would... I would break into his house and I would tie him up and then I would call the cops. And so I would put him in jail. But, you know, it, it, but let's imagine that this pedophile is someone untouchable like Jeffrey Epstein. Right. That's better. And so imagine that the father um, forgives him. I mean, of course, the father would. It does seem morally certain to me that the father would be remiss if he didn't pursue justice for his daughter so i it doesn't mean he can't pursue justice i mean in, in catholic terms they distinguish between the eternal consequences of sin and the temporal consequences so that for example if you um if you drive drunk and you smash a um you, you you're driving drunk and you knock over your neighbor's mailbox okay completely destroy it then you you go to God and you say, oh, God, I'm sorry for doing that. God forgives you. Or if you want to analogize it, you go to the neighbor and you say, I'm sorry for doing that. And he said, I forgive you. But the forgiveness does not undo the consequence of what you did. The mailbox is still destroyed. So um, there's a kind of temporal justice that has to happen. Namely, you have to replace the mailbox. You have to get a new mailbox and install it for the neighbor. Um so one can talk about those two different things and the need to seek justice um, for your child that stops short of killing the person. Now, now the thing is, now, of course, the heart calls out for that. That is against what Jesus said. Therefore, that makes it sin. Um, now, why is it sin? Or, or given that it is sin, it's more pious to begin this way, given that it is sin, what can we what what do we know from the fact that it's sin? Well, we know that though it seems like life to us, though it seems that at the moment that we do it, we shall find freedom, that's really when, when our soul is going to feel the bottom drop out from beneath its feet and find itself hanging with whatever measure you measure um, uh, you will also be measured. There's a way that requiting evil with evil will bring a similar kind of evil upon yourself. And I'm not sure why that is. I have to seek, I have to search my mind because that doesn't seem just. It seems just that to repay, you know, a tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye, that seems like justice. But Jesus specifically told us that it's not justice. Justice is turning the other cheek. And so, I mean, it also occurs to me that the pedophile is also a child of God with we know not what history. Um, and my sort of using sort of naturalistic reason almost what I would have said before is how everyone is interconnected and how the redemption of any one person will ultimately require the redemption of every other person and that and that's why to not forgive Jeffrey Epstein is in some way to prevent your own salvation
um because your 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 salvation won't won't come without his i don't say that his has to precede yours in some temporal or logical order or maybe in some temporal order but there is a logical requirement that his salvation be possible before yours is and i think if you don't forgive him then in some way does it make his salvation impossible i almost want to say yes but you see in other words we're warned not to forget we're warned we're, we're, we're told we must forgive not because we have no power to damn people, but precisely because we have the power to damn people. And But I don't know. That's, that's the way it seems to me. Um, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, it does seem like it's against what Jesus said um, to, to seek vengeance in that way. Although it's very much in the spirit of the Old Testament. You and Jacob both have the spirit of the Old Testament. You know that I won't. I don't really mean this about Jacob, but as a heuristic, you can proceed from this that basically everything Jacob says is wrong. Um, there's a way that I've increasingly been coming to see the lies of the enemy. I'm not going to claim that I have such great discernment that I'm just now I've ascended to the mountain and. Spiritually, I'm behind you, I'm behind Jacob, I'm behind basically whomever you care to name. Um, but the lies of the enemy, it's like one of the lies is like that you, you must sin in order to bring about God's best future for you. The truth is something more like what was written in one of the George MacDonald stories where if I mean, take this advice and remember it, um, you know, when you come to the, the dangerous and fateful situation that you're that you're going to come to. And the character asks, and what if I forget this advice when that happens? And then the answer was, then some evil that is good for you will follow. And so that's the what the devil emphasizes for us. And he says, therefore, since since from your sin some evil that is good for you will follow you must sin in order to bring the, about the evil that is good for you and um the whole truth though is that um is what the character asks net asks next he asks and if i remember the answer is then some evil that is not good for you will not follow I might phrase it as the infinity of God is such that whatever outcome happens is the best possible outcome. Therefore, you don't need to sin. Even if you don't understand why it's sin, you don't need to. If he told you, so this is the first, this is the first temptation of our parents. They were told not to do something and they didn't know why it was wrong. The, the, the route that our parents chose was since they didn't know why it was wrong, they chose to do it. In this case, we know that to pursue vengeance against the pedophile is evil. Even in the Old Testament, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Um, um, we know that that route is evil. Or rather, we know that Jesus said it's evil. We don't ourselves know why it's evil. And then the choice is to listen and obey or to, to believe the words of the liar and to go and do it. And the, the, the discovery, I think, in which salvation consists, or at least requires, is that is that if you obey if if you hear his voice this day and do not harden your heart 
um, you, then some evil that is not good for you will not follow. Trust him because his words are life. He's trying to lead you to life. So listen and believe and obey even when you don't understand. Jacob is going this rationalist route and it's, you know, there's going some evil that is good for him will follow from it. But that doesn't mean you have to follow him in that. This sounded really severe and harsh. This was just my best attempt to really stay buttoned up and on a single train of thought despite being very sleep deprived and bothered. So it sounded very harsh. I don't mean it at all that way. I'm saying this is this is simply my analysis and any harshness comes from the effort that it took me to stay very collected and pursuing this train of thought because I have ADD and narcolepsy. Okay, that's all.